Hello and welcome to Carbide Content. I'm David from Contraption Collection. I'm Dalen from MachineWise. And I'm John from Triaxis. And no Grant again. Um, <laughs> he's banned from President's Day or whatever the last holiday was. Yes. He he's banned what? from all major holidays. David, what? how many episodes have we done? Like, I don't actually have... We never this say will be that. number 31. All right, that's this insane. is number 31. That, that's, that's pretty crazy. impressive, I gotta say. There's not many things I've done 31 times that's right? actually requires... <laughs> there's, only, there's only 52 weeks in a year, right? Yeah, uh, I mean... Yeah, yeah we did it for like six months. That's crazy. Time is insane. Yes. Yes, it is. All right, David, what have you done this last week? Oh, don't start with me. I've, <laughs> uh, well, I'll just make it quick. I, uh, I've done so little because it, the, the timeline of when we think three phases done just keeps getting longer and longer. So the state three phases in is that like everything's mostly kind of done, but there's just some big wires sticking out of a panel that don't really go anywhere. And I guess the workers are done until the city has to come in and inspect it. And maybe they have to add meters. And so now we just have to wait and it could be days. It could be weeks. I don't know for the city to look at it. And then the people we're working with can come back and wrap it up. Uh, so that's kind of annoying. And uh, I also have a video coming out hopefully tomorrow. We'll I'm see. Uh and I, I don't know. I, I wish that I was able to release that sooner too, but it's okay. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know, trying to, besides that, that stuff, I'm trying to figure out what to do. I guess I have other video ideas and maybe try to, uh, starting to program a little bit of ideas that maybe would work better on a Haas. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Nope. Oh, I also got a female, sex bolts from lucas from squid industries uh which i'm hoping will help with uh, assembling scissors which is something that actually trying to sell scissors and actually trying to give you guys scissors i realized maybe is a bigger issue than i thought and so that would mean i only have to lock tight one thing instead of having to lock tight uh two things uh yep. per handle um and i guess i have to lock tight the scissors potentially too uh so lock, less loctite would be very nice yeah uh so i guess that's it have oh, you uh spindle wise you're still looking at a doing like a vf2 yeah if you would you go the ss yep you would okay cool you don't have like a you haven't actually ordered one have you no just, no i on. we haven't ordered anything we might after it turns out the inspection's good or whatever uh, but nothing, nothing yet. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think stuff's gone pretty sweet for you, Dalen. Some of it, maybe you want to keep under wraps. I'm not sure, but yeah, I've had a lot of things going on, but, uh, I want to start. I, I feel like John always ends up last. Do you want to go second, John? Sure. Yay. Uh, what have Tell I done? Things. I, um, it's hard milling again <laughs> hard milling yep that's the yeah. story of our lives yeah it's a something we don't do very often <laughs> no so, no no so yeah the biggest thing has been like obviously i had that like i post on instagram about 
sucking and not <laughs> staying on track, which is something I do really often. And uh-huh. throughout like my entire life, it's been really helpful to learn a lot of new, weird, obscure things, but it certainly doesn't yep. help me actually achieve solid goals sometimes. Right. So yeah. I kept trying to get well, the grinding was like the kind of the big thing in the last month or two. Mm-hmm. But it's just in general, it's like the oh the you know the toolpath on the handle is not good enough kind of thing. Like I'd rather it be just better. And when you could have made the same thing and just tumbled it longer kind of thing, so I get right. stuck in those kind of loops where I can't do anything until like it's it's stuck. So I'm like I have to do this thing, otherwise I feel like I can't work on anything else, which is pretty annoying. Mm-hmm. And I do like a hyper obsession. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the the grinding thing has been like it was working and then it sometimes doesn't work. And there's a lot to grinding, especially the way the blades are shaped and then trying to like form dress the actual grinding wheel to a shape you need. Mm. It's just, it's not, I don't think the setup or the machine is the right. It's not, I don't think it's the right time, even though I've probably said multiple times it's the right time. Yep. It's just the fact that it would work good and then you would dress it kind of thing and then it wouldn't work exactly the same the next time so just Uh, because the consistency wasn't there it was getting really annoying kind of thing and so i'm like i just the thing is for me to be able to leave something that i'm hyper focused on it has to either really break or i have to finish it and so at this point i'm just like okay it's broken (laughs) like it's not gonna happen i need to need to drop it and yep. then so that's where i'm at so i'm was i'm back to like optimizing hard milling tool paths but i'm like well they were tumbling fine before and you know at least the work i put in to get it to work grinding before like doing the like resurfacing like in the model actually yes is going to make hard milling easier mm-hmm. so i'm just kind of like that's where i'm at and okay and another thing is like i was like i did not like spending so much money on one tool essentially. But then I'm like, that's just the cost of doing things mm-hmm. as far as like the ball mills go. Yep. Just the yeah. cost of business. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just like the pro the reason I don't like it is because I don't have the volume, but I don't have the volume because I'm not willing to spend the money to get the volume. Right. So I'm yeah, like, yeah. I just need to put my like feelings aside and just actually make the things. Mm-hmm. And then it'll solve itself kind of thing. So that's where I'm at. And okay, cool. Yeah. But other than that, like the machine's good. It's nice. Not crashed anymore. I've been that's doing good. distance to go five percent rapids when I get over something. <laughs> yep. But I'm like I'm like this it's back to the that's the new car don't scratch it feeling kind of thing. Uh-huh. And I'm like, you know, after I'm sure after a couple months I'll be like hundred percent rapids, close my eyes <laughs> on everything. <laughs> so but yeah, I I do have concerns that the machine is probably not as good as it used to be. That's definitely in the back uh, of my mind. I think it's mostly the fourth axis that makes me feel that way. And okay. for good reason. I mean, I've hit the thing like four times really hard. Yeah. <laughs> like, is it showing signs of of abuse or wear or anything? I think so. So it's got a it's got a break. So the way the break works, I'm not I. I'm not 100% sure how this specific brakes work brake works but basically the when you apply the brake 
and disengage the break, there's uh, three... It's three tenths, which, you know, is really not that much, but compared to what it was, it is. It used to be only basically from break applied to break not applied. There's a one-tenth bounce, essentially. Okay. A repeatable bounce. And now it's three-tenths. And so okay. that's the the thing that's good about it, or at least the saving grace about it, is it's repeating every single time two, three-tenths. It's not just like yeah. one time it's one-tenth. One time it's, you know, like negative or... or one tenth in the other direction. It's always the same uh, forward rotary direction, I guess, in three tenths. Right. Okay. So it is. It is a repeatable thing, but it is still a variation of, you know, it's sure. it's not as good as it used to be. Basically. So, right. uh, does the fourth axis is it directly servo driven, or does it have like a gear? Uh, from what I remember or understand, it is gear. Yeah, it's got a motor and then a gear and then an actual brake assembly. That's uh, like a 360 applied brake. I think it's kind of mm-hmm. like a what do you call it? Yeah, because like uh, the the Tormach one. It's been a while since I messed with it, and it, and I I think that Tormach has a direct one now. But the one I had was a uh, gear driven, and the way it worked, I think, is uh, it had a certain amount of backlash, but you could like tighten the the distance between the gear and the worm gear mm-hmm. and that, that reduces the backlash. And if you did it too much, it would, uh, you know, bind up and, and not work. But, uh, maybe, maybe if it's geared, there could be some adjustment to tighten this, it up. This does have a worm gear because I had, when I originally, the first year I had the machine, I got a chip stuck in the back, the, the, the back brake platter. It's like got a big oh. O-ring gasket. And I got a chip stuck in there and it was like bleeding air out of there. And I was huh. like, wow. And I had, I just brought it to like the HFO or whatever to get it fixed. And the guy was telling me about it. This one does have a worm gear. So that does um, okay. exactly what you're saying. Like if you, if you over tighten a worm gear, then, and you go to like zero backlash, it won't move because it's not yep. stuck. Um, yeah. But the way Haas like writes out the, so you check the backlash by, it's got, it's T slotted. You take a one inch or a half inch bar and you stick it out. It's like, I think it's eight inches or 18 inches or something. And you put an indicator on one of the flats of the T, T slot. Um, so this would be like uh, indicating the Y direction kind of. And you uh-huh. just, you put, I want to say it's one, one pound uh, of pressure down on that 18 inch. So that's whatever the math is for that. Yep. And it's not supposed to show more movement than two tenths or three tenths or something, because okay. that's actually the backlash in the worm gear assembly, I guess. Right. And the the way they list it, like most companies do now, is if it's out of that spec, it has to be brought to a repair place to be repaired. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I have no idea what it entails to actually repair these things. There's plenty of people on like practical machinists who have repaired them. Um, I don't have much experience repairing things that are like precise, basically. Well, what I with the Tormach one, it was very confusing and awkward to do, but it was just like adjusting a set screw to, mm-hmm. to change the amount of backlash. Yeah, it, it wasn't like a, a whole disassembly and fixing broken parts or something. Uh, yeah. But I have no idea if there's more to it than that for the Haas or if, if things are, you know, could be more damaged to that. 
Yeah. Right. That's like, it's kind of like, it's one of those things that you, you do it and you don't have experience doing it before. And so you, you're like, I think it's correct. Like, I think I've corrected what the problem is, but you don't really know per se. Like if you actually went in there and did all that, I mean, yeah, you would indicate it and you'd be like, well, it indicates correctly, but like, I don't have any pre-existing knowledge of what it's supposed to do. Like I kind of do, but kind of don't. So I'm just in like the weird middle area where you're like, it's okay for now until parts start showing problems type thing. And it's yeah. like on the lathe, like I have a, the lathe I have is like a 2004. It's like a big Kia fixed headstock lathe. Um, and it's heavy. And like, I don't know if I leveled it right or I leveled it properly using the light, the right leveling pad. And I'm like, it looks level. And then is the, you know, is the B axis actually aligned properly to the spindle? Just kind of like one of those examples, like, you think mm-hmm. it's right, but maybe it's not. But you don't really know. Ignorance is bliss and all that. But <laughs> right, hey, if it's giving good results at the end of the day, then it's right enough. Yeah, and honestly, like the honestly, the fourth axis, as far as like actually simultaneous stuff, if you ever wanted to use it for that, I don't think it's up to the task for uh, high precision steel parts. No, I mean even if it was brand new, it's still no, it, yeah, be. it's not. Yeah, you, like the <sighs> thing with simultaneous is like you have to go back and forth in direction. It's totally fine if you want to go to like, you know, a 42 degrees every single time and you're always spinning clockwise. It's always going to repeat back to, you know, that area within like one or two tenths. But if you got to go a 42 and then you got to go a 40, you're going backwards and then back and forth, you know, back and mm-hmm. forth. Oh, yeah. That backlash is going to show up in both, you know, in, in both directions i guess but yeah. I, I don't it's just not spec that good as far as I, you know i've i've run manual machines where you know you take out the lash and such and such like i understand backlash but it, i don't understand backlash in that you know uh like a year ago or something i spent so much time uh trying to figure out how to make sure my tormach was as accurate as possible and i do feel like just trying to check the backlash just like, you know, move it, see where it lands, move it, see where it lands with a test indicator or whatever. It would be worse than like an actual test where if I like actually just have it mill a circle or, or, or make something, I'd get better results with it like, you know, consistently moving, even if it's going kind of in different directions than uh, just like you know, a test indicator stopping it and starting it. So I, I, I wonder if there's kind of like a floatiness to it where, I don't know, this price sounds so dumb, it doesn't make sense in reality. But that that's how it seems like with my Tormach, where it, it, I feel like somehow I could get better results no, that like, uh, it measures. Yeah, no, that, like, and what you're saying makes sense. It's just like, it's the, the thing, I think what would really be beneficial is like a spindle chiller too on the Haas. Cause like, yes. that's another thing is like heat changes the thing. It moves a lot. And I'm just like, there's no real <clears throat> spindle chiller option that you can even add aftermarket. Yeah. Cause it's like, a, it's a grease pack, right? No, this one's actually, it's, um, Oh, it was converted. Over. No, it's oil, but, it but is, like okay. when you look up, so what is a spindle chiller? It's, it's actually coolant. And or or it's a separate like actually coolant or like or really coolant. low viscosity oil. Yeah, and that's actually cycled through the casting, and it keeps it the same temperature consistently. 
But with, when you look something up for like a VF2, people are like, oh, well, the coolant cycles through the head. And that's, and people are like, that's going to keep it consistent. And it's like, but is eh. that true? And there's no documentation on that being a thing. Yeah. And so, like, I mean, yeah. I'm sure it's doing something, but also your coolant heats up. You don't have yeah. a, a coolant chiller. Yeah. Yeah. And like, the other thing is basically what I'm getting at with all this is you're chasing around something you can't reliably hit. I mean, mm-hmm. you can put an indicator on the table and move the front sheet metal and you can move the indicator two tenths. I mean, like the sheet metal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that means yep. when the cutter when the cutter is cutting something hard, it is it is putting quite a lot of force in that yep. that could be actually bouncing it enough to move out that much. So it's just not it's just not the machine that uh you know it's not the right it's honestly not the right tool for the job in this in like what I want kind of thing, but you work with what you got. So yep. in the words of a confounded machine, everything is a rubber. Yeah, and it's just crazy. Yep. Like, I don't know. It, it, uh, when I went to IMTS in 2018, I went to like a talk by Hardinge, mm-hmm. and uh, they're talking about how they, I mean, obviously they're going to make their machines sound better, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I think they don't use thermal compensation. And, and they're talking about like lots of machines, you know, the high end machines use thermal compensation, but. Uh, you know, it is this kind of constant adjusting and and feedback loop uh, difficult problem. And so their solution or preferred solution was just to make better castings where, you know, using different materials together, you know, where uh, controlling where the heat goes, where things expand and how they stretch, uh, you know, just is, is better than, uh, you know, kind of just trying to, to control the heat of the machine. But yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's there's the current route where you just make sure everything is the same temperature always. So you Kern's, solve the problem itself. The current's frame's aluminum, isn't it? It's like mostly aluminum. Yeah, if not yeah, all aluminum. Yeah. Bizarre. But it's it's every single component is is controlled within, was it like point Kelvin or something? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. No need for thermal comp. They, they may even have thermal compensation on top of that. Probably do. It's current. Yeah. I don't, but um, yeah, thermal compensation, it's great, it's cool, but it is more of a a band-aid, I guess. Yeah, I think honestly a heavier machine would probably solve most of my, mm-hmm. I don't know, stuff. Right, I mean, yeah, so I was surprised my brother doesn't have a spindle chiller. I was moderately taken aback by that. You know, you know, like, I was, I was gonna look that up today, because I was just curious, but then I was mm-hmm. thinking, like, Honestly, it probably doesn't because what is the who is the target audience for that machine? And it's like it's really fast aluminum yep. cutting repeatedly. Yep. So yep. like your target market doesn't need to hit like, you know, three tenths every time for that yep. part kind of thing. Like, but it can and, so, and it will all day long at the same time. Yeah. And so that's like that's the same thing with like the VF2 target audience. Yep. Like it's mostly aluminum shops that are. You know, right. We See, want I feel like we're conflating body. two different things. I feel like we're saying spindle chiller and there's kind of two parts of it. The one part is just like literally how hot the spindle gets where you don't want to blow up your motor running it at 20K, you know, for eight hours a day. <clears throat> but then the other side of it, which is what I assume you guys are really talking about, 
is the spindle gets hot, which means other things get hot, which means that the head, the the uh, uh, C-frame casting droops, and you your Z heights lose accuracy. Yeah is is that the uh, is that what we're really talking about? Yeah, I'm just talking about keeping the the casting in one place, I guess. And so, you know, what Lucas decided to do was get an Okuma that has a bridge frame construction instead of a C frame construction. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's kind of what I'm talking about with where just how you build the machine uh, can lead to more accuracy. Yeah, for sure. Within reason. Yeah. I mean, I would, that was one reason I wanted to get an Enchu was uh, they have a, a, a bridge style construction. Hmm. So does the, the F series, I think, from Brother, but there's yeah. like none of them in the States. Hmm. And they wouldn't sell me one. But on the other hand, it's possible. I mean, the Brother seems like a really good machine. So it's possible that it just has a really smartly designed casting, even if it isn't the heaviest in the world. You know, the, the way they, you know, shape the metal, maybe it is really good at, at, at uh, not drooping. I mean, it yeah, also does I mean, have active thermal compensation across everything, which is nice. Or that too. Yep. Does it have like glass scales? No, but it has absolute encoders. Okay. Yep. Like, so what's no the cheapest there. machine you know of that has glass scales? <laughs> a Haas. Um, Haas uh, there's Haas scales with glass scales? Oh, you can, you can order glass scales on a, on a VM, yeah. Yeah. Oh, is like. From Haas or like an aftermarket Heidenheim nope. thing? Yeah, from Haas. From Haas, yeah. I, I, I do remember saying oh. that now in their, in their options. The huh. cheapest machine that I've ran with glass scales was a Makino N25XA, which was a horizontal five-axis tiny little thing, like $350,000. It seems like glass scales should be cheaper or more common because isn't that the same way like DROs work? If you get like a, a manual wheel, the DRO, it just has like yeah, a glass scale... Like, Attached to the back of the table or whatever. That I am not sure. It's those are more in line with like just a digital caliper style scale. I don't honestly know the difference between a glass scale and those ones. So. I just remember my machining teacher being like, "Don't freaking crash stuff into the back of this machine or the side of the, you know, this like Bridgeport style mill because you'll break the glass scales." Because hmm. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there's different qualities and precision but i i'm assuming glass is chosen because like they could etch it and it's a stable or something it's definitely for for stability for sure Mm -hmm. yep but yeah i don't know yep yeah i think we've veered a little bit but now do you want to talk about uh your projects some of them maybe not all of them any of them Daily. Oh, me? Yeah, I can do that. Um, Let's see, where we left off. I had the brother on my floor last week. Did a podcast, I'm pretty sure. I don't think it was running yet, though. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I, so I, I think is, we had yeah, the brother yep. last time we yeah. did a podcast. So it's it's completely installed now. Um, There was some confusion here and there on, on it having air blast, because in the sales meeting, it was going to have air blast, and then it didn't. And then I got mm. with them, and I was like, I thought we'd, we discussed, you know, we discussed through spindle air, and they're like, oh, um, brothers can't do through spindle air. What oh, you... we thought you'd forget. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that, yeah, right? But I was like, but I was pretty sure I was 
told that it could have through spindle hair. He's like, well, that's it's just not possible on a brother. I'm like, oh, that seems wildly inaccurate to me because coolant can go through it. So air can, too. But OK, can you mm-hmm. get me some form of air blast setup? They're like, yeah, we'll get you a side mount air blast setup. Great. Cool. So they bought all the parts and had them shipped to me for some reason instead of their office, which was really weird. So I just kept getting packages every day from Yamazin. <laughs> there was like 10 packages. I'm just like every day. I was like, oh, hey, another package. OK. Oops, they sent me a they sent me a machine by accident. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. But um, so the install tech came in this morning while I was asleep still. Got it. Got it installed. And I came in. He's like, cool, let me show you the air blast. And I'm expecting a side mount air blast. And we roll up to the machine and I look inside and there's no extra lines. I'm like, so where's the air blast? And he turns it on and it's coming through my spindle. Nailed it. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's there's spindle. It's like, that's excellent. Yeah. But I just I just <laughs> imagine you standing there like really confused, like with this. Well, look I, on your face. I mean, because <laughs> and then I he's like, what? with him, because like, yeah. and this tech is great. Of all the people I've worked with from Yamazan, this specific tech is phenomenal he's great he knows what he's talking about he's great to work with but there was clearly confusion on my part i guess talking to him because when i was talking to him he also made it sound like i was going to be getting a side air blast huh. honestly that's, so that's I, a nice surprise <laughs> it was a it was an excellent surprise yeah um so through air is working through spindle coolant is working um, i have a i have a pressure regulator coming in tomorrow to throw it in line for the through spindle air because i don't need psi of it can my compressor support it? <clears throat> but uh, yeah, other than that, I've done a lot of prototyping so far on the brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working on a folder design. Uh, I got the folder ask. design made. Um, the brother handled it great. That that was my first foray into hard milling on the brother, and it took it like a amp. Oh man! Yeah, See, that's that's what I was excited about. Is yeah. is you sent me a picture or us a picture of three D printing a blade, and then only like uh, or a folder, and then only like six days later, you had a metal a one. Finished metal one in my hand. Yeah, and, and you're saying it even had a hardened blade. Oh yeah, yeah. Blades fully hard milled. The um, oh, the little lock bar was made out of hardened ABL. Oh. That's crazy. Yeah, so, yeah, it, it hard mills great. It's significantly more rigid than my similarly weighted and sized Mighty Viper. Um, the finishes are pretty good so far in hard milling. I didn't spend a lot of time dialing in tool paths or anything like that, so there's some small artifacts here and there. Did you just run kind of like what you're used to kind of thing? Nothing new. Yeah, yeah what I'm used to, I, I spent no time looking at a point distribution. I just wanted to, you know, get parts in my hand because I'm, I'm not going for production yet on yeah this is also the thinnest bevel i've ever done it's a 10 degree bevel total so five degrees aside yeah um and it comes down to like seven thou behind the edge um did it great the folder design itself needs a little bit of work it'll fail a a spine whack so i redesigned the lock mechanism again on it something i'll work on over time because it's something i want to get into my product line see that's that's the scary thing and that's what makes me so slow is it's like i don't want to make a whole set of pallets for something and then i have to make a big design change yeah it's yeah. how it's much just, of a spine whack test does it fail is it like just a oh, gentle so it's, it, it's really weird if it's stationary and you put you can put as much force on it as you want if it's not like an impact 
Like, oh, I so probably, maybe like shaking loose? Yeah, so what it is, it's... You can do mild spine wax with it, but if you give a spine whack and you give it follow-through, it'll uh, fail. Okay. Mm. Um, I've since redesigned the entire lock mechanism, which may be better, may be worse. Only, way to, only one way to find out. Yeah, I wonder if oh. it's because when you give it a real good spine whack, you're gripping harder, and then maybe it's causing it to twist. I think, no, um, I think what it's doing is because it's it actuates by moving forward into the blade instead mm-hmm. of coming sideways off a handle. It's being pushed into the blade, and there is a 5-degree, actually, this one has a 10-degree taper on the surface. Yeah, because I, I, I guess we should say, like, you're not just doing, like, uh, no, this is a, completely a liner new, lock or a frame lock. You're trying to yeah, come up with your own, my own kind of thing. Design. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of learning curves with it. But for our first prototype, I'm really happy with it. The closed detent isn't strong enough. Mm-hmm. It holds it in place, but if you but you could just like like wrist flick it open without you know having to get it past the detent. Yeah. Um. Yeah, stuff like that. But from the from the machining standpoint, the brother has been fantastic so far. Nice. Yeah. the <laughs> The probing for it is a mess. As in... I can't find documentation for it, and the the stock tool setting program. I don't know if it's something on my application engineer's side or something in just the program itself. I think it's a combination of both. But uh, my apps guy couldn't get it to touch off a long tool and a short tool without crashing it. Oh my gosh! Nice. So it's like if you there was it, it only had like a one and a half inch range of tool lengths that it could touch off and if it was oh. too short it would go through the touch off cycle and never activate the probe and then just put in a default number for some ungodly reason oh my god too, and if the tool is too long it would literally wrap it through my tool setter oh my god and that's and so my you didn't break it though did you oh i i never let it crash because i didn't trust anything okay good um Jeez but my apps guy was like yeah so you can only touch off tools between this length i'm like excuse me what <laughs> that's not how a tool setter works. He's like, well, it's just how it, it's kind of how it is. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to remake it myself then. Yeah. That's so I, it, I seems kind of weird. Is it's there, a, there's weird. probably like a length, like, uh, sorry, there's probably a length of tool holder limit, uh, for the, the tool changer turret, right? 250, yeah. 250 millimeter gauge length is the maximum tool length. So I used that when I, as the maximum tool length when I went and remade the remade the tool touch off program. Yeah, that, so that's that's about ten inches. Uh, so, do you think you were using tools shorter than that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I would assume so. My longest tool is like two inches long. Yeah. Well, you you were using when you were. Uh, uh, oh, I never touched that off. Yeah, because uh, you you used something long when you were making. You had to make risers for. Uh, yeah, it was a 130 millimeter gauge length holder with another like three quarter inch stick out on top. So, yeah, it wasn't that long, but <clears throat> yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, I had yeah, to remake. Yeah, that's bizarre, and I see that's like I don't know. Like I like I've said, I'm not someone who like complains at restaurants or I don't like to return things, but for something like this, that's like a serious business transaction. That's a hundred thousand dollars. I feel like. It's like, hey, a lot why of, this should work like you'd expect it to work. Right. It also took four days to do the probe install. 
Oh, my oh, gosh. They do one screw a day? Uh, no, it was literally the wiring. It was like two wires that were swapped. So one thing, not to give them the benefit of the doubt necessarily, because it's still ridiculous. This is the second machine in Arizona with the new D00 control, and it's the first S700 with this control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so think, I think we talked the about first. That. I think I'm the first one in Arizona with a Bloom TC52 on the D00. If Arizona. they can't figure it out, honestly, like they should just get you a Renishaw. Like, I mean, I want you know, blue. your time is valuable. You should be freaking oh, making knives to it sell. Was, it was kind of ridiculous. Um, and so, like, the entire probing ecosystem on this machine, I'm just going to have to make from the ground. I've mm, already decided. But, but that I'm that takes time that you could be. I mean, if it, I, I think you're a smart guy, so I bet you could come up with something that works and that maybe is even better. But still, it's like, you know, that's not you didn't buy this machine to fix other problems like you gotta I mean, be I, making I products at the same time um i don't have the support for it yeah there's no one that i can ask that i can call at yamazen and be like hey i need answers to this the, how, how is that possible i have no clue have you tried it's really strange yeah i mean i have one applications engineer and they can't talk to bloom or something or, or japan they're so do you think it's a blue problem or do you think it's the new uh, control problem? I think it's just whack programs. Uh, is, I mean, is the control based on Fanuc? Uh, no, it's it's a it's a brother control from the ground up. Okay, I thought maybe it's still built kernel. on Fanuc. I think it's built off a of Linux kernel, but outside of that, it's it's brother. So you think you know how to like program it for? Uh, well, for the for the probing stuff? for probing, it's just it's just sub programs. It's like G code. It's all G code. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Huh. It's it's not that difficult. Um, it's just the only hard part is knowing what variables are what. Yeah, that's uh, I don't know. That's and really frustrating. It, it sounds out. like you're a, a guinea pig or something. You should at least, uh, if you figure stuff out, you should at least try to put it out there on Instagram or something so other oh, yeah, people get these new uh, this new control. And it could just be it, it could just be the Arizona section of Yamazen. Who knows? Yeah. But yeah, I mean. <laughs> I was or maybe someone will listen to this podcast and knows the solution. Right? I mean, uh, so I, I I know John knows Dylan from Proteum, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's been he's been fantastic. Um, he was going to send me manuals for the Bloom probing. He's like, cool, check your 8001 program. Tell me what version is in there. And so I open up 8001, and at the top, there is just no version. Hmm. So I think I have, like, some weird whack, like, Bloom program suite yeah have you shot an email over to them like bloom themselves i have to talk to bloom probably to see what's going on but yeah i mean um, another thing like don't do a bunch of extra work if it turns out there could be a super easy fix where bloom's like oh they didn't turn on you know this setting and that's all it takes you know and it's not quite that they gave you the wrong programs yeah right who knows i mean at the end of the day um, the way I intend to use probes is going to be very custom anyway, so I'm going to have to make all my own custom programs for it. So whatever. Yeah. I'm do well, it anyway. for the probe, it's different than the tool setter. The tool setter, I feel like, you know, how much can you really do with a tool setter? Um, a decent amount. I mean, it doesn't measure diameter, but there's, you know, I can still make, you know, I can make variations of the tool setting program for long tools, short tools. Yeah, I mean that's another thing is just like 
I mean, well, you know, I don't know. Really small diameter tools. That way it doesn't go too fast and break them. So there's a few, you know, there's a lot of things I, I intend. So. Mm. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. It's for sure. I was, I was touching off a 30 thou diameter hard milling end mill. And I was like, please don't break. Please don't break. Yeah. It what, break. Uh, uh, what do you use the 30 thou diameter hard mill for? Some stuff on my blade. On the, um, on the folder in particular. Some, like some, some engraving, or do you have to make features with that small yeah. of that mill? Yeah, I had to use it um, on a 155 thou depth of cut. Jeez. Yeah. That's, I got like a, not the forces are way different, but it's like a 46 yep. thou, and that's yeah. how I do the pocket on the blades, uh-huh. and that's like yep. 12 inches per minute, and like, yeah, I was oh, doing, like it's flying. Yep. It's pretty funny, actually. Because oh, I never think yeah, there. Which uh-huh. blows my mind. Yeah, right? Doing like 5,000 depth of cut. Yeah. And it was annoying too because I had to do it all with coolant because I didn't have air blast at the time. Yeah. So I was like, please don't, please don't glow and then explode. Yeah, it's funny because that, that jimping, that newer jimping I was doing, like uh-huh. I could not get tools to last whatsoever. And I was like, yep. yeah, I'm like two inches per minute. It's like a, you know, it's a 132nd end mill. Right. And I'm like, what is going on? This tool path takes like 13 minutes to do. Yeah. Put this- stupid jimping in here so i switched to like i was like okay i'm gonna go really fast and do like a really light depth of cut and it yep. went it's like two minutes long now and it's yeah. like and it's four okay. inches per minute or something at like Yo. two thousand depth per cut yeah, <laughs> like, yeah it's just those yeah on these really small hard milling tools the depth of cut is everything yeah and that's like slotting too so it's yeah i don't know it yeah always blows enough, my mind the cutter's still there right uh, funny enough, though, on like on the quote unquote larger diameter hard milling end mills, like my 316s that I used to profile the blades, mm-hmm. um, I used to when I first got them way back, I was following uh, Harvey's uh, fees and speeds charts like to a T, and they yeah. wanted like a like a ten or fifteen thou depth of cut max, this that and the other, and I was doing that, and the tips were just going off. Mm. And then I finally said, you know what, screw it, <laughs> I'm just going to go full depth of cut, all the radial, and just send it. And ever since then, it's been. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. At my old job, I remember like we'd use Gibbs Cam and everything would just be very simple tool paths. There was never like adaptive stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like there was some job where I had to make like super thin slots and like, uh, you know, 30 thou wide or, or something like that and like, uh, point, point one higher. I don't remember what it was. Yep. Uh, but I was like, please just let me figure out how to do the like peel, tricoidal, whatever thing in Gibbs Cam. And I eventually figured it out. And then this tiny like 20,000 mil just is, you know, doing the slot, just peeling away a little bit in circles and spirals. And it, you know, was able to do these slots, you know, like super fast yep. without breaking these tiny end mills. Yep. I am always a big fan of. Modern adaptive toolpaths. Yeah, that's a very expensive add-in in Gibbs, by the way. I'm spoiled. I only know adaptive. Yeah, <laughs> because I started with Fusion. I know it's I, it's I, so I, nice. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I started in Gibbs Cam. I mean, Gibbs has had tricoidal mill because Gibbs calls it tricoidal milling. Maybe they call it something different now. Yeah. Um, but I think Gibbs had that option back when I was learning Gibbs, but the shop I worked at at the time didn't have that. And then the shop I went to next that also used Gibbs did have that that add-in, and it was great. 
I feel like that I must have had to do some workaround or some weird thing because it's crazy to me that I don't think the owners of the shop would have understand what it is enough to have been willing to pay for it. Yeah. 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 A lot of shops still do live in the past. Yeah. Yep. Hey, that's uh, like me and my end mills. You and your end mills? Yeah. I'm like, why would I spend $80 when I can spend $12? Oh, God. <laughs> hey, at. At pick least you're not buying high speed steel. Yes. <laughs> Stepping over a dollar to pick up a dime. Oh, man. Maybe I'll change. You will. Yeah. But yeah, so, I mean, it, you're just, it's production mode now, right, John? Oh, yes, of course. Nice. Yeah. How many knives you get out this week? Um, none. <laughs> okay. Reason? Uh, cool. It's my excuse. Okay. No, that's. I mean that's a that is a valid yeah I I I do tend to forget that you're also doing school full time. Yeah, that's not a really good excuse because you know. I mean, is it really full time? How many hours are you doing? I don't know. It is full time though. I'm there from eight in the morning till like two thirty three in the afternoon. Jesus, yeah. I mean, really about lunch. That's a lot. (laughs) Yep. You don't know how many like credit hours it is. It's whatever a full fifteen. Or whatever, fifteen twenty, okay. something like that. Like, oh wow, okay, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, I spend like I spend a lot of time in the garage, and then I come uh-huh. out at like you know ten thirty, and I'm like, yeah. what did I do today? Hmm. Yeah, but there you got what you got two out last week, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I was gonna say I remember seeing a couple of really cool knives on your Instagram. Yeah, those ones that the teal and like purple one was really mm-hmm. cool. I thought, and then yeah, I liked them. Yeah, I have this like in like internal debate about should they be pictured as clean when they're anodized or should they be pictured as handled? Because that right. blue one with the bronze clip, the uh-huh. second you put your hands on it, it is not going to look like that. Like is it that will never look like that ever again. Is it like a, like a low volt blue? Yes. Which is uh-huh. like, you know how that is the second. Oh, you touch yeah. it, it turns yep. like I have some low volt blue ones in inventory right now. <laughs> yeah. I just, like I love anodizing, but I hate it at the same time because it's not—it's oh, yeah. not what it will look like over time. No. But yeah, I—I I was the first time I like uh, got some like nice knife that was anodized, and like the oil on your skin or whatever adds the layer that changes how the light refracts. I was like, I didn't understand it at first. I, I was like, did I like break this knife? Like, <laughs> yeah, like why did the color like, change so much all of a sudden? Yeah, but mm-hmm. I don't know. What are you going to do about it? I mean, it does look like that one is clean. So, I mean, I guess. Like... I mean, so I recently purchased uh, a, a decent quality folder for my employee for his birthday. And it was mm-hmm. uh, it was a bronze anno. So, you know, low volt bronze anno, one of the worst offenders for getting old. Absolutely. And when that one arrived, it was pretty smudged. Oh, OK. Yeah. Some people do that. So, They'll um, like kind yeah. of pre-oil them. Yeah, like, yeah, you can rub some maybe 40 in it or, you know, some any oil, really. Yeah. On low volts, that's usually what I do. The higher volts, like, once you get past 45, 50 volts, they don't smudge nearly as badly. They still can, but not but not quite to the extent. Yeah. And that's what yeah. kind of engraving's nice, because if you can get engraving that's you can't be touched by, like, you know, it's, it's uh-huh. uh, deep enough not to be touched by your skin, that usually lasts pretty decently. It does. That's, yep. Yeah, yep. I was going to say that. Yeah. I wonder if there's like a clear code or something that could be used for this. 
That sounds terrible. It, no, it's definitely you. been tried. The issue is like, as you said, because the way the light is reflecting, basically mm-hmm. anything that's on there is going to cause it to be different. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's true. Cause, cause that's how anodizing works for steel. I'm sorry, uh, for titanium and aluminum, they actually use like a dye, but in uh titanium, you're just creating an oxide layer that yep. light goes through and then is refracted, uh, Yep. Differently, and, depending on yep. how thick the layer is. Yep. And yep. aluminum anodized gets sealed afterwards too. It seals the pores. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's all and, I got. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I'm basically just chugging along on the brother. Um, I have a its first payment is in two days, and this will be the first machine that I haven't made enough parts on to pay its first payment before the first payment was due. Oh man, that sounds like such a like a interesting thing to say. Yeah, right. <laughs> I well, feel it's, like I've been making every payment without it. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, every other machine I've I've I, I I've had a very distinct goal, and I've and I've had them running the parts that they're supposed to be running before <laughs> the first payment is due. This one, partially, the install took way too long, and well, also I've been doing a lot of prototype work on it while getting familiar with it. Control yeah. that I've yeah, I mean, you, you got to be proud of yourself for sticking to that that first goal because yeah, I would I wouldn't even know who I was if I woke up in the morning and I did something <laughs> like that. So I still have two days to make enough parts on it to pay off its first payment, and I know I can. I'm actually going to probably go back to the shop after this because I'm I'm moving slift T blades over to it and getting yep. those hard milled. So nice. Yep. Well, I wish you luck. Thank you. Yeah, it's just going to be the hard milling machine. Is is basically what it's come down to. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like you were back and forth, but you know, you showed me some of the tests you've done, and the yep. finishes seem crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah making think, it a blade machine seems awesome. Yep, it's just a matter of dialing in the tool paths and and getting the curvature, you know, the geometry on the blades themselves proper, so I'm not getting weird artifacts. For sure. Yep. Have you seen any weird artifacts yet? Oh, my folder has has some lines that are like. Like if you catch it in the light, right, they look deeper than others. Um, part of that, so it's it's on op one as well, which is interesting when it's the most supported. So I think that's just toolpath variations. I, th- I just yeah. kind of set the the I set the yeah, accuracy. You didn't, you didn't pay attention to points and all that. So no, I mean, all I really did was I I set the accuracy to one tenth, and yeah. that's really it. I didn't spend a lot of time tuning them in. Yeah. That's that's what I'm going to be chalking that up to. Actually, the the op two is better than the op one. Funny enough. Hmm. Huh. Now Maybe there was a up. warp in the stock or something. It's possible. It's possible. It's it's a lot shorter of a like I'm used to working on really long thin blades. This is a moderately stubby thing. It's like the bevel's only three three and an eighth inch long. Yeah. So it's it's short and stout relative to what I'm used to. So yeah, I don't know, but. Brother's great. I love it. And yeah, nice. that's that's about all I got. Sweet. I think that's all we got. Cool. Well, thanks for up. listening. Yep. Cool. See you next time. It'll be a shop gremlin. <laughs> thanks for listening. Yep. Bye. Bye. Bye.